Today's gospel is from John chapter 2, and it serves as the basis for our sermon and meditation this morning. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Who walk as children of the light. All glory and praise be to God. What a hymn. Those words dare us in our faith to think in terms of glory and light and talk about every wall as praise, joy. You've maybe climbed a mountain. I know out here you have easier access to do that. You can climb up to a really tall height. And I know what it is to be on a 14er. I've, I've sucked wind up there a little bit myself and uh, taken in some of those views. That's all it is, is a view. And yet, even on a mountaintop, you have to admit, it's limited to as far as the eye can see. I can't see beyond what my limited ability is. Even on a mountaintop, you could say there's a wall up there. And what we get to talk about in church today, because of where our Lord takes us, is he takes us not just to a mountaintop to get rid of all the barriers, but he takes us to a place where we can see beyond our own ability. That's the whole purpose of this series, is for you to press harder and more firmly into the space God makes for you, not the space you understand, not the space where your reason would figure things out. We want minds blown. We need minds blown. We actually are anti-eyeball in this series. We're saying that our eyes are limiting. Our eyes are often wrong and dark. We're asking God, please break open my faith. Please lead me in the way where faith speaks and faith lives 
and faith dreams because if I stay inside my box and my bubble, I remain miserable all the more for doing so. So this Uncovered series is so crucial that God would take you beyond a mountaintop experience to something that's beyond what your eyes even have the ability to do. And that's crucial for us. And when I think about the challenge of this series, and even of a scripture like today, I think about how many walls with which I live. Any place in our community that isn't on the mountaintop has a limited view. I was driving about 6.10 this morning, and I looked at the clock, I saw this ginormous moon that was setting on the west. It was going down behind the, the hogback. But I could only see part of the moon. That is the limitation of my visibility. As soon as I got to a gap in the hogback, I did see the whole moon for a little. I was like, wow, that is a gigantic moon. I don't know if it's got a special name. right. Is it a full moon right now? I, I have not been paying attention, but that was beautiful and caught me by surprise. And yet, what I could see and how I could experience it was limited to my view. You and I are so accustomed, and with good reason. You know, there are some ways where where we're going to call this sin, but there's some ways that you have to just embrace and accept the limitations with which we live. We get so used to, for example, the transactional nature of life. We get used to knowing what it is when companies have a surplus and when companies don't have enough, and what it is to need wood when you can't buy wood at a good price. We understand what it is to watch the measurables and to see statistics and to watch percentages for this and for that and to gauge our stability, some sort of like future ahead of us based on that calculation. You know what it is that if people smile at you at work and everybody seems to be nice, then you feel like you're embraced and loved in your work environment. You know what it is to be at school that if people aren't picking on you in mass, then in general, I've got some friends and that's good enough for me. We all taste and experience these little microcosms of like factored in joy and stability that surrounds our lives. And it's God who has to come and say, you can live like that and you need to on certain levels, but at the same time, that's not faith. It's not, it's not fixed on me. And when problems arise, if you go to the well of your experience, when problems arise and you do what you're used to, to doing, I want to know what that used to is. Is that used to doing problem solving my way and tackling the issue with my effort and ingenuity? Or is there a better way to do it? There absolutely is. And it's one in an entirely different room with an entirely different view that you can't have by yourself. God has to pull back the curtain and give it to you. He must. Today you're going to see God pulling back the curtain for your alternative way to orient your life and live. And it's not with your eyes. It's by faith. And the faith's object, when the curtain is pulled back, what faith gets to see is a God who delights in you. 
I didn't expect to find that in this miracle in Cana. I didn't expect to see a God who delights in me with something that struck me as sort of absurd, uh, unusual. Jesus is like hardly the typical guest even by the reading of it. Somebody else is getting married, right? We're not told it's a relative of Jesus. In fact, his mother Mary is mentioned first. Like she seems to have a connection. I don't know if you could tell this from the translation, but she seems to have a connection to the the wedding family, the the marriage family. You can tell by the way she feels the burden of like the disgrace that they're running out of wine. And it's not just like, ha, they're lost because I'm some like distant connection to this family. She's like invested. She's invested in the wedding moment and the experience, not just a moment. It's not even just an hour or a day. For them, it's like a week. It's a week long. Everybody travels, you get together, somebody gets married, and they have a party for like a week. So I guess you could say there's different amount of wine required for such a bash, if you were going to throw it that way. And she cares. She's sort of on this inside. She cares, and she brings it up to Jesus. And I'm saying to myself, this isn't a prayer request. You don't come up to me, Pastor, can we pray this Sunday because I could use more wine in the cupboard. You didn't bring that one. We would say, Jesus, if you're going to set the tone with your first miracle of what kind of Messiah you are, if you're going to pull that back this curtain and show us that you delight in us, wouldn't it be in all the other ways we got used to seeing, like curing diseases? At least give me a demon-possessed somebody who stands up at the wedding and makes a ruckus, and then Jesus can say, actually, I own demons because I'm God, and this is going to be a great sign to you of who I am. And instead, it's they don't have wine. Should we write our hymns of Jesus, the wedding saver? Because this is what we need to tell our neighbors and knock on their doors, that Jesus will save your wedding. Make sure you invite him. I don't think so. Does it sound awkward to you? And yet there's something that you can't strip away. If you're going to like, you know, nitpick with me, or like I was kind of doing, where are you going? Why would you start here? There's something you can't take away from this story. There's a Mary who understood a Jesus that maybe did care about little stuff. That maybe somebody else's wedding joy and celebration would weigh on his heart if it weighed on his people's hearts. Maybe it's not too small. And she comes to Jesus with just a couple syllables and she says, they don't have any wine. And do you remember, were you kind of surprised how Jesus answered? Woman, not mother. Woman today is like probably a diss, probably some sort of abuse of gender respect and love. If you were to copy and paste Jesus' words and use it in a conversation. But back then, it had respect. Back then when Jesus, when he says woman, he doesn't mean it like that. And you, in fact, you, would, you could say to a dignitary, you could say to a queen, you could call her woman and it would be respected and appreciated in that environment at that time. So take it, don't take it too far, but he doesn't say mom. And maybe she appreciated that. Mom! <laughs> There's a kind of mom that you don't want to hear. But he does say what? What's between us? 
how is it translated? It's a, it's a Hebrew expression from, that goes back to the Old Testament. There's an expression of it in the book of Judges, for example. And it's translated here, why do you involve me? And it's sort of like if there's a table of what our common agenda, our common work, our common effort and interest is together on this table. She says, she, she kind of puts this request on the table like we have this in common. They've run out of wine. And Jesus says, what's between us? Do you remember a Jesus who would say, if you love your father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me? So in Jesus, in Jesus' mission and purpose, is he getting all of his assignments from Mary? Is Mary writing everything that Jesus would do in his daily agenda and his calendar for his ministry? No, his heavenly father was. Jesus was all in in his public ministry by this point, calling disciples to be witnesses who would hear and see exactly what he wanted them to share and tell out there in the world. And now Mary puts this piece of paper on the table and Jesus says, you understand something, don't you? I am about my father's mission and work. And he follows it up with an expression that helps her understand, my hour has not yet come. And now you're talking about a fixation and focus and mission of Jesus that he puts on the table. He says, I am doing something that hasn't fully arrived yet, and it's not changing water into wine. It is dying on the cross for sinners. I am about some great glory and powerful work that I alone can do and that hour has not yet here that hour is the one where I lay down my life and bleed to death that hour is coming I'm going to do my big thing I have my agenda and you need to know that my answer to you is that that's not yet and in the strangest turn of events <laughs> Mary doesn't take that for a no <laughs> And she turns to the servants and she says to them, do whatever it is he tells you. I think that's the hilarious part of this story. I don't know about you, but it's a Mary who's listening. You know, my hour has not yet come. What is there between us? You know, why do you involve me? You know my agenda is different and, and special under the heavenly father and not at the pen of your hand. And she says, okay, Servants do whatever he did. She just like moves on, you know? But you could say, Jesus did not say no. He said not yet for his full agenda, but he didn't say no. And she turns to the servants and said, whatever he does with this, however absurd, he speaks. Do what he says, and she walks away. And I would venture to say that in the case of a believer and your small requests to God, that if you would have an expression as open and free and uninhibited as Mary, that's a, that's a gem in this story. Whatever. Whatever he says. Whatever he says. Do whatever he says. That's where she leaves it. Do you hear that? She, she knew and Jesus knew. And then the curtain is pulled back in a way where we get to soak up a special view of Jesus in a surprising moment. And Jesus doesn't sweat this one out. Jesus doesn't sigh with like 
remorse or regret or disturbance that he has to do this. Jesus counts all the jars. He doesn't say, maybe I'll give you one jar full. He notices how many they have. And in a way that doesn't calculate and doesn't measure the miracle at all, he says, fill them all. Fill them all. I bet if they would have had 10 jars, he still would have said, fill them all. Fill them all. And so they did. And then immediately after, they're ready for the wine tasting. You take it to the master of the banquet and have him taste it. And so he does. And without knowing where this came from, without knowing how this had all originated or who really had done it behind the curtain, it remained behind the curtain for the master of the banquet. And he samples it. And this expert wine taster, having tasted this and knowing wine, he goes to the bridegroom and says to him, this is different. You have saved the best. So not only did Jesus do this small thing, Jesus did it with all the jars, and he gave the best wine the master of the banquet had ever had. Now you tell me how Jesus lives in the moment. Now you interpret for me the character and quality of the one who's pulled the curtain back. Preach to me, please. Tell me about him. What's in his heart? Does he hold back when he does? When he acts, when he commits, is he calculating? Is he operating in the vein that we often have to and do? Does he function on the level that we're used to functioning? Does he problem solve in the way you and I would problem solve? There's other ways this story could go. He could do the one jar. He could give just enough to get them through the rest of the wedding. Instead, he says, there's six jars. Fill them up. Fill them up to the brim. And he gives the best quality. He could have matched the quality. He could have dummied down the quality because how many people would know? They're not all expert wine tasters. Can you tell me about this, Jesus? Can you tell me about what's in his heart? That when he commits and when he steps in and when he reveals, what do you find? Is he not delighting? Is there a smile on Jesus' face? As behind the scenes, the master of the banquet doesn't even know, just the servants and his disciples. Is there a smile on his face as he knows people are going to enjoy this? They will enjoy it. And in the beauty of this entire account, John doesn't hesitate to unfold for us exactly what is revealed to us. Not Jesus the wedding saver. We all knew that that wasn't it. But it's all wrapped up with a pretty little bow, a gift to you in verse 11. I have to turn my page. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was, are you ready? the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, it's a sign. That is in agreement with what Jesus said about what's between us, Mary, in this request to, to handle the wine problem. 
that's connected. It's a sign. It's a sign. This isn't my work. This isn't my messianic all in all is to be a wedding saver. My hour has not yet come. It's a sign. But it is a sign. See how John's language is consistent with what Jesus said before? It's a sign of something else. It's a sign. Who gets a sign? Is a sign for Jesus? No, it's not a signpost for Jesus. It's for us. You pull back the curtain and there's something for you to see that represents the God who loves you. This is a sign of his love. So you take that generous, lavish, joy-filled Jesus and you say, that's a sign. That tells me who God is. It's a sign of his glory. It's a sign of how he's always going to love me. It's a sign of always how he is committed to me. And the faithful delighting, the faithful, enduring, never-ending delighting of God in his people, this is a sign of that, that I will always have that, that this will always be his glory, is to delight in such a way. It's a sign of his glory. And then what was the result for his disciples who had come along with him and the disciples here who hear it in the room? What is the result? What is the purpose? And they believed in him. And in John chapter 1, he already told you about believing that the world in its darkness did not recognize Jesus behind a curtain in their unbelief. But to those who believed him, who called on his name. He gives the right to become children of God, John said. He knows how precious believing in Jesus is as distinct from putting your trust in all the normal things you can put your trust in. Delighting in Jesus is one who delights in you to make you child. We heard the father speak last week. This is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. Pleasure. Pleased. Pleasing to me. And now Jesus pulls back the curtain to say, you know what pleasing to me means? You. You. You can only see so much on a mountaintop. You can see so much more in this story. Faith will only walk where Jesus tells it to go. And today, he pulls back the curtain and demands that you live with a heart of faith. It's not running on anything else but a God who delights and rejoices in you in the most lavish and generous terms so that you can make your small requests to your heavenly Father, whatever it is. Maybe it is about wine. And you say, whatever, whatever you do, Lord, because I know you delight in me. Whatever you do, Lord, I know your delight. You don't have to make it this or that. I know your delight. When you have a problem and you look at all the traditional ways of fixing it, you're just muddying up your vision, just making it worse. Let your faith response do its first thing, its first call in this miracle. To say, God delights in me, however this works out. It's going to be great. It's going to be okay. I can rejoice in the one who rejoices in me. So brothers and sisters, we close a worship service with the blessing of God. 
and you recognize how applicable that is, that you would walk out the door with something on your taste buds, just like the master of the banquet had something on his taste buds. You'd walk out the door with something your faith has tasted, the Lord of blessing and keeping you. The Lord who makes his face shine on you. The Lord who delights in you to such a degree. He gives you peace. Amen.